Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 18, Negotiations. Part 1. Susan's sleep was even less restful than the night before. It was not the disturbing dreams interrupting her sleep this time, but anxiety over meeting Shively in the morning. Had he found the medicine Margaret needed? Would his price be so outrageous as to make the medicine effectively unobtainable? Even if the antibiotic was available and reasonable, how would it get to Margaret? She was a hundred miles away, a hundred miles that would have to be traveled on foot. Would she carry the medicine to Cheshire? Should she? Her return to Cheshire was an unsettled issue. These and dozens of other worries crowded Susan's mind. The sound of footfalls swishing in the pasture grass caught Susan's attention. She stopped fussing with her fire and stiffened up to listen more intently. Only one set of feet, short strides, so not tall, moderate pace, so not in a hurry. Her best guess was that it was Aaron coming for another visit. While Susan felt impatient about the upcoming meeting with Shively, she was eager for Aaron's company. Her soul craved comforting. Good morning, camper, called out Aaron. Her thin arms looked even thinner, coming out of a too-large T-shirt. Her jacket was tied around her waist. Aaron's stiff, mousy blonde hair stuck out in all directions, blown by the wind across the high pasture. I brought you some more goodies, she said as she displayed the bundle in her arms. I already had some breakfast with Aunt Sandy and Uncle Carl, uh, so you don't have to... Aaron noticed that there was nothing cooking on the fire. Um, well, Uncle Paul didn't want to come because he knew that he made you nervous, uh, but he wanted to send you something. Uh, actually, lots of them wanted to send you something. She laid her pillowcase bundle on the ground and untied the rope from the end. Ready to feast your eyes? <gasps> Ta-da! A cutting board. Mom wanted you to have this. She thought it would help you make your meals uh, better than a hunk of bark. Uh, Aunt Sandy sent some dry corn in this little bag here. Uh, she said you could make hominy out of it. Uh, Uncle Carl sent you this metal grate so that you could make a more civilized cooking fire. See? It's got little legs that fold out on the sides. <gasps> cool, huh? Susan didn't react. While all those things were nice, her mind was still churning through her backlog of worries. Ah, well, I thought it was cool anyhow. Aaron set the grate near the fire. Uncle Paul wanted you to have these wires. He said you could make snares out of them, and it would be easier than always hunting with your stick. Susan smiled at the snare wires. Paul didn't really say any of that, did he? Aaron avoided eye contact and shrugged. Oh, kind of. Uh, you know Uncle Paul. He talks with his eyes more than his mouth. Anyhow, I was saying, uh, wait, I don't remember you having a brown jacket. And what's up with your knife? Aaron pointed to Susan's big knife stuck in a section of log beside the fire. The blade was smeared with dried blood. Oh, well, I kind of um, found the jacket, and I didn't have enough water to clean my knife off. Susan feigned disinterest. 
I'll clean it off later when I go down to the stream to get some water. Yeah, but you don't have anything roasting over your fire. So what's with all the blood? Uh, That's way more blood than a squirrel or, or even a woodchuck would make. Susan let out a big sigh. She had no story ready to explain away the bloody knife. With everything else swirling through her head, creating a tail, or even cleaning the blade in the first place, had not been a priority. (sighs) Well, I, um, had a little trouble in town. Susan hoped that would suffice. You have a huge knife covered in blood! Aaron flailed her stick arms at the knife. That's not a little trouble! Come on now, what's going on? You've been acting kind of weird since I got here. Not your usual self. Erin folded her arms across her chest and tried to look stern. Okay, okay, don't get started with your motherly look. Some guy jumped me in town, but Erin's arms fell to her side. (gasps) You killed him? No, I didn't kill him. I thought about it, but I couldn't do it. I let him go with a warning. A pint of blood on your knife is a warning? It's not a pint of blood. Don't exaggerate. I don't think you... Hey, wait. What were you doing in town, alone, that this guy could get the jump on you? You know the family rule. No one ever goes to town alone. Susan hung her head. I wasn't paying attention to my surroundings. He probably thought I was one of those homeless beggars and could... um, Let that be a lesson to you, Aaron. Never let your guard down. Always know what's going on around you. I let myself get too focused on something else, and it almost cost me. What could be so important that you go to town alone and let a creep get the jump on you? You're not making any sense. I was watching to see who picked up the note. Susan could see the next question welling up inside Aaron. So she blurted out the rest. I needed to get some special medicine that Shively said he'd go and see if he could find, and I saw him plant a note in the back of the hospital, and I saw that square-faced woman from the co-op come out and get the note. That's when the creep showed up behind me. Hold on, hold on. Aaron held her arms up to interrupt Susan's torrent of story. What medicine? Is, Is this for your crazy spells? No, it's for Martin's wife, Margaret. She's sick with an infection that could kill her. Doug found out with his radio and told me about it yesterday. I asked Shively, I'm supposed to meet Shively in an hour, to see if he can get it or not. Wait, Aaron looked at Susan with a piercing, skeptical eye. Martin's wife might die? Well, if she doesn't get this medicine, yes. Oh, you must be all kinds of conflicted now. I mean, if she dies... You could be with Martin, which is like your dream come true. But if you didn't help get the medicine to her, but you could have, that that would mean that you kind of killed her, and you'd be totally a Reginald. Susan's shoulders slumped a little. A Reginald? Is that from one of your books again? Uh-huh. Arms of treachery. Reginald's wife was in a difficult labor up at Blackheath Manor, so he rode his horse into town to fetch the doctor. But he stopped at the Red Lion and had beers instead, so Daphne died, which didn't bother Reginald too much, because he really wanted to have Monique, the miller's daughter. But Monique found out that Reginald piddled around instead of getting the doctor, so she'd have nothing to do with him after that. So Reginald... That's enough. Susan held up her hands. I get it. So... So you can't do like Reginald. 
How could you ever be happy with Martin if you knew that you killed his wife? If he ever found out, like Monique found out, he would hate you forever. But if you do get the medicine and she lives, then you can't have Martin. But you built that wall yourself. Oh, man, it stinks to be you right now. Thanks for the comfort, Susan said with deadpan sarcasm. I've been turning that all over and over in my head a million times. Yeah, it does stink to be me. So? So what? Susan didn't want to over-anticipate Aaron's questions. What are you going to do? What's your plan? You always have a plan. Susan shook her head. Ah, there are so many ways for things to go wrong still. I don't know if Shively can get that medicine. If he does, I don't know if anyone can meet his price. I kind of screwed up by letting him know that it was important. Well, that's because it is, insisted Aaron. I know, but you can't negotiate with a guy like Shively after he knows you really need something. He gets all the leverage. But even if the price isn't bad, the medicine is still a hundred miles away. Do you realize how long it would take someone to travel a hundred miles here and back? Why here and back? Aaron asked. You get the medicine, you take it to Martin yourself. One-way trip. Easy. Susan shook her head again. I've thought about that. If I could meet Shively's price, it's an option. Traveling alone, I'd have to avoid towns and big roads. On foot, I could do maybe 25 miles a day cross-country. Four days. Well, that's better than eight days of someone coming here and back. But if I can't meet the price, someone from Cheshire has to bring the price. That's still eight days. Shively will never let go of that box of medicine until he has his payment in hand. And you can bet your butt he won't travel to Cheshire to deliver. No, Aaron blinked at the impasse. So, like I asked, what's your plan? First, to meet Shively and see if there's even a next step to plan for. Susan looked at her watch. Oh, I need to get going. I uh, don't want to be late. She stood up and put her knife back in its sheath and put on her jacket. Uh, can I come? asked Aaron. What? Susan was about to veto the idea as unnecessarily dangerous. What stopped her was the realization that having Aaron along made her feel calmer and focused. She really needed some calming and focusing. The danger could be mitigated if Aaron watched from a safe distance. Yes, you can come, but you have to do exactly what I tell you, okay? Aaron nodded wildly. Ah, whatever you say. Susan leaned against the big pine tree. She had no idea how long Shively might be. She peered down the road, back toward her hill. Aaron waved from behind a forked maple. Even seeing Aaron in the distance seemed soothing to her jumbled heart. Aaron's simplistic romantic notions had a way of bringing out the practical path. The crunch of boots on gravel brought Susan's mind back to the meeting. Lots of crunch, so a heavy person. Short strides, faster than a casual pace, walking with a purpose. I know you're back there said Shively's voice. Susan tried not to rush around the tree to learn the news, though it was too late to pretend disinterest. Well? It took a lot of pulling strings and calling in favors, let me tell you. This here's the toughest item I've ever had to find. <laughs>
I had to work really hard for this, but I can get a box of that Meropenum. Well, that's great. Susan did a little double fist bump. She stopped when she realized he hadn't stipulated his price. His preamble told her that it would not come cheap. She took a deep breath and squared herself up to face him. Okay, what do you want in exchange? Shifley put on his greasy smile. Well, I've been thinking on that. I mean, a rare commodity like this is hard to put a price on, you know. This here's a life-saving drug, miss. How can someone put a price on a precious human life? Susan squinted at him as he spoke. Like you care about human life. Get to the price, Shiv. Enough of the sales pitch. Shively looked away, smiled, and writhed slightly, as if for a moment his body was made of jello. What the heck was that move about? I figured you and me might come to a little understanding, eh, Susan? Shively glanced at her out of the corner of his eye. She didn't like the sound of her name coming from his mouth. I mean, as friends, well, there ain't nothing one friend wouldn't do for another, right? Friends? Susan didn't like the implication. She held her peace, in the hope that she was jumping to conclusions. She needed the medicine, so didn't want to fly off the handle and ruin the deal. She waited, deliberately silent, to make him speak more. I mean, continued Shively, these are tough times. Nobody's got much of anything left to trade these days. But you've got something. He looked her over from head to toe with a gluttonous smirk. Her blood ran cold. She knew precisely what Shively was demanding as payment. Could she really do that? Would she sleep with Shively to save Margaret? It seemed totally contradictory, like giving up her eyes for a chance to see Martin again. Then her blood boiled, trying to take advantage of me. She would not defile herself, even if it might save Margaret's life. Margaret's living or dying was in God's hands. Her own personal honor, however, was in her own. She also knew enough about Shively to never trust him. He could take payment first, and then never deliver. Why would Squareface agree to give him the medicine and get nothing? She takes all the risk so he can romp? That made no sense. He might not even have the drug. Maybe Squareface said no, and this is all deception just to take advantage of me. Rage nearly erupted from her every pore. She pictured herself leaping on top of Shively and carving off an ear or a finger as a penalty for such a suggestion. Yet... There was still a possibility that Shively did have the medicine. She still needed it. And then there was Aaron watching the proceedings from a distance. Susan bit down hard on her lip and began to quiver like a pot about to boil. She couldn't stay quiet and ignore his attempt. She whipped out her big knife, startling Shively. He stepped back a half a step. She stabbed the can on the top of the fence post, impaling it to the gray cedar post. Do you see what's on my knife? She growled and pointed at the dark red blade. 
That is the blood of the last man who tried to get physical with me. Shively's eyes shifted back and forth between Susan's deep scowl and the knife. From his loss of words, Susan guessed that the negotiations weren't going quite as he planned. You should pick a less dangerous price. Susan retrieved her knife, scraped off the can, and slipped the blade slowly into its sheath. Shively regained his composure. He folded his arms across his chest and set a defiant, smug look on his face. Fine, have it your way. If we can't be friends, it's a thousand ounces of silver. Take it or leave it. He sealed his position with a little nod. A thousand ounces? Susan was shocked and outraged. She could never come up with a thousand ounces of silver. No one at Five Corners had any silver. She doubted if anyone in southern Vermont had any silver. The government had made it illegal. Even if she asked every resident in the state, why would any of them admit to having any? There was no time for that, and Shively knew it. Susan doubted that Martin would have a thousand ounces of silver. She recalled that he said he had some, but it sounded like a few dozen ounces, not hundreds, let alone a thousand. Take it or leave it. Shively repeated. Susan wanted to punch his smug face, yet she still needed the deal. His new price, exorbitant as it was, at least suggested that Squareface actually could provide the medicine. Silver would give her some reward. Then Susan realized that she still had one card left to play. She stared into Shively's eyes in a way that began to melt his smugness. He expected begging or second thoughts, not silence and cold stares. Or, Susan said without breaking eye contact, I could leak to the new regime how you've been working the black market with that square-faced woman from the co-op. She also works at the hospital. Shively attempted a poker face, though it was a pale poker face. Susan leaned forward slightly and spoke softly. I have ways to let the authorities know about your operation. She was thinking of Doug and how the townies came up periodically to check on his radio use. She could feed him the info that he could relate as an insider tip that he overheard from some insurgents. All it takes these days is an implication or an innuendo to get someone disappeared by the government. She narrowed her squint. And, before you suggest that I'd be in as big a trouble as you, I can vanish into the deep woods where no one can find me and live out there comfortably for years. Can you? Tiny beads of sweat glistened on Shively's forehead. He glanced around. Okay, uh, okay, uh, five hundred ounces. Uh, look, it's not me, it's that woman. She's demanding that much. It's very risky stuff, uh, you know. Uh, you have five hundred? Five hundred ounces still sounded like an exorbitant price, but she had played her last card. That would have to be the price. I don't. The other party does. She was speaking far too boldly in her eagerness to seal the deal. She had no idea if Martin could come up with that much. She might have to help. Could she help? That was a detail to be worked out. But none of that was Shively's business. Five hundred ounces of silver, and I'll throw in a bonus. 
I won't kill you over your first suggestion, she said. When? Um, she said it would take a few days. Uh, they watch that sort of thing closely. It takes time. That just leaves a matter of where, Susan said. Well, that part's easy. It's the same island we were on before. I know, I know. They've got all their sensor things. Still, I've got my ways. Don't you worry. I'm not the one who should worry. Okay, four days from now, I'll meet you at the tracks by the pond like last time, Susan said. Before she turned to go, she put her hand on the handle of her knife. And do not double-cross me, Shively. You'd better have the medicine, or I will cancel my bonus offer. I'll add your blood to his. So, how did it... Aaron clipped her question. Uh, are you okay? Susan stomped behind the double maple, leaned her back against it, and went limp. She slumped to the ground. I'm a mess, she muttered as she rubbed her face with both hands. I was so angry and so scared at the same time. I didn't want to blow this deal or kill him. Oh, how I wanted to kill him. I never used to think that way. I don't like this part of me, Aaron. Oh, uh, um, uh, well? Aaron looked around at a loss for words. Uh, does he have the medicine? I think so. He's demanding five hundred ounces of silver. My old dad, he kept a roll of silver coins at the cabin. You know, the one that you found us in. It was supposed to be our crisis money. I think there were only ten or so. Five hundred sounds like an awful lot. It is a lot, Susan stood up. But that's the price, so now we have to go up to Doug's and get word back to Cheshire. No time to lose. Yes, this chapter was a bit long, so it'll come in two parts. The visit by Aaron and the deal-making with Shively comprised one fairly complete scene. Susan's visit to Doug's house for the radio message was a whole other scene, so this seemed like a good spot to make the break. In podcast news, Patreon recently added a chat feature to their other upgrades. This feature gives me and my patrons an exclusive text message channel. Mark, one of my patrons, and I tried it out. It's only available via the Podbean app for your phone. I'm assuming there's both iPhone and Android versions at their various app stores. There isn't a web version. So... For you patrons out there, if you'd like to give the Siege Chat a try, ask the author questions, talk about the books, etc., download the app and send me a text. We'll all find out how it works. In other podcast news, Podbean advertising continues to underwhelm me. Their description of how it works says that revenue is payable on the 15th of the following month. October 15th came and went, and the 20 bucks from September hadn't shown up. What Podbean didn't say, until I asked, is that they don't pay until the advertisers pay, which could be 30 to 60 days after the campaign. Aha. Uh -huh. So, it could be more like two months before the Siege podcast sees a dime of any of this advertising revenue. On top of that, it sounds like Podbean says they'll take 30% of the revenue as their cut. So September's $20 would only be 14 I have to wonder if the ads are really worth it, 
after all. Color me skeptical. What works better are the virtual coffees and memberships. More of that goes to support the Siege podcast. Please consider buying a cup of virtual coffee at Buy Me a Coffee, or better yet, becoming a monthly member at Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon. As a patron, you'll get that chat thing, too. Check it out. Next week, part two of chapter 18.